we're going to look at a couple of Jesus's parables that are very similar to each other. And through these parables, we're going to gain insight on how it is that people come to Christ and what that process looks like and what's involved with it. And this will give us some clues and some understanding in how we should evangelize to others. So these parables are found in Mark chapter 4, beginning at verse 26. And it takes place when Jesus is next to a lake, speaking to a large crowd of people. It says, Jesus said, This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. Again he said, What shall we say the kingdom of God is like, or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that birds can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. Now when Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God in these parables, he's talking about people accepting the authority and rule of God over their life. And that fits very well with what evangelism is, is people accepting Jesus Christ and the truth of Scripture. So let's look at each of these parables and understand what it's saying about how that process works. So in the first parable, we have a man who plants a seed in the ground. And it says that night or day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. So we have this seed that continues to grow even when the planter is not thinking about that seed. And whether that planter is working on it or thinking about something else or going and doing something else, that seed continues to grow because it's not growing from direct influence from the planter at all times. That the planter begins that process, and he's there at the harvest time to reap the reward, but there is a greater force at work causing that seed to grow. That all the nutrients of the soil is being drawn into it, and it's receiving the sunlight and water and all those things that it needs in order for it to grow. And really the main bulk of the process is not in the work that this man does with the seed, but rather everything else that takes place after that process has been started. And when you look at it in that perspective, we see that the man who plants the seed and, the, and harvests that seed does very little in the process of causing that seed to grow. And in fact, no matter how much he wants to try to make it grow faster, that desire isn't going to make it grow any faster. It's going to grow at its own pace. And so what we see in this process is really a cooperation between the man 
planting the seed and the seed growing due to forces outside of that man's control. And Jesus is saying that that is what the kingdom of God is like, that there are people that are called to be a part of that process of bringing people into that growth in their relationship with Christ. But ultimately, that work is going to be done by God himself rather than by the people. And that's important for us to realize about the kingdom work is that it's primarily God's work. It's not primarily our work. It's primarily God's work and that he simply invites us to be a part of that work. And it's important for us to understand that because that then makes doing evangelism and sharing the gospel with others a cooperative task with God rather than a personal quota that he has given to us. It's not that God is just dumping that task on us and expecting us to figure it out on our own, but rather he is saying that this is something that I am wanting to do in people's lives, and he wants us to be a part of that process and joining him in that work rather than just dumping it on us. And it's important for us to understand that so that we aren't trying to take it all on ourselves. Because when we do that and we act like this is something that we just have to figure out how to do on our own and that nobody's going to help us with it, then we end up cutting ourselves off from help that is there waiting to help us. And that can be very frustrating for the person who wants to help, for God who wants to help us, and especially frustrating for us who feel like we're on our own and not realizing that we're doing that to ourselves. It makes me think of somebody at my work who I work with and I'm on a team with her and she's a very hardworking person. She has that motivation and that drive to get things done. But there are some times where that kind of works against her, where when something comes up that needs to be done, that she automatically takes it on, our, on, on herself to accomplish it as though nobody else is around to help her, even if she's got two or three other things that she's already working on and us other members of her team aren't really doing anything, she'll still take on that new thing herself. And oftentimes she'll even complain later that she's the only one doing things and that she has to take care of things by herself. When we are there willing to help her, but she just kind of gets into this mindset that she's the only one who's going to do it. She's the only one who's going to get it done. And so she's just going to take that on herself and do it. And then that causes the work to become very one-sided and very lopsided. And it's not because we're unwilling to help her, but simply because she's not willing to allow the opportunity for us to help her. And even if I go up to her and I say, you know, I'm willing to help you with that. I can I can do that for you so that you can go and do the things that you were doing before. Oftentimes she just says, no, it's okay, I can do it. And so then she's working on two, three, four things and I'm sitting there with nothing to do. And it can be really, really sad and frustrating for me sometimes to be in that position because I want to help her and she's just not letting me. And I think 
that is so much what happens with us and God sometimes. That God is saying, this is my work that I want you to be a part of, but I'm here to help you with that work. And instead, we try to figure it all out on our own and don't give God the opportunity, don't listen for him to show us how it can be done and allow him to help us with that. And this doesn't just apply to evangelism, it applies to every kind of spiritual work that we are called to do. It applies to prayer, that we're not supposed to just have this big monologue prepared to pray to God. It's supposed to be a conversation with him, with reading our Bible, that he shows us what to read and helps us to understand what it is that it's saying. For things like evangelism, of course, where we've got to figure out how to present the truth to people, that we're not doing that through our own, but we're cooperating with other believers, and of course, especially allowing God to show us the best way to do so. All these different areas, even avoiding sin, that we aren't just trying to do it through our own smart techniques, but we're allowing God to give us that strength of will and understanding and preparation to avoid those temptations. All these different areas where God wants to have a relationship with us, where he is helping us with these things. And too often we just place that full burden of it on ourselves, and we shouldn't be doing that. We shouldn't put on ourselves the full burden of God's work, because God wants to share in that work with us. So then we have the second parable that Jesus talks about here, which is of the mustard seed, which is a tiny little seed that becomes a massive tree. And Jesus is pointing out in this parable that just because you have a big tree doesn't mean that it started from a big seed. Or just because you have a small tree doesn't mean that it started from a small seed. And even the mustard tree, which is such a large, enormous tree, begins from a very tiny mustard seed. And through this parable, he's getting across the point that sometimes the biggest changes, they often start in very subtle ways and moments. Some of the most impactful things that will ever happen in our life don't come from these big, glamorous, or exciting moments. Sometimes the biggest changes that have happened in our life was from very small and subtle moments. A small word, a short video, a little book. All of these different things that started us, started a change within us, that grew and grew and grew into a large defining part of who we are. And we need to not underestimate the big importance of small moments. And we can see this principle at work in our world. We can see that just because something is big doesn't mean that it will have a bigger impact than something that is small. If that was the case, then we could see how healthy a couple's marriage was going to be by how big their wedding is. And the bigger the wedding was, then well, the better the marriage was going to be. 
But that's not always the case. And in fact, that's usually not the case. I remember reading somewhere that the bigger and more expensive a wedding is, that that usually led to a shorter marriage in the long run. And that just shows us that sometimes those big outward shows don't really make a lot of internal change. And I would say that more often than not, it's those very small, meaningful moments that have the biggest impact, not just in our personal lives, but in our world. I've thought time and time again about the resurrection of Jesus. And yes, the death of Jesus was a a big thing. You had an earthquake that shirk so hard that the temple curtain was torn. You had darkness. It, It was an incredible display. And yet the resurrection of Jesus, which is really more important because the death doesn't mean a lot without the resurrection, and yet the resurrection, there was no fanfare. There was no great display. In fact, his disciples didn't know that he had resurrected for quite some time after he already had. Because there was no thunder, there was no earthquake, there was no fanfare. The greatest moment in all of human history happened right under everyone's noses without anybody noticing it. And it's important for us to realize how critical those subtle, meaningful moments can be. And especially when it applies to us trying to reach other people for Christ, to realize that it's not necessarily going to come with great signs and wonders. It may, but that's not the main part of that. And that's not what should be prioritized. In fact, Jesus lost many followers when he stopped performing signs and miracles, but they were people that were not interested in following him, they were just interested in receiving blessings from him. And it was after those great shows uh, of works and wonders that Jesus began to really begin to pour into the lives of those who were willing to follow him through the difficult times. And so rather than prioritizing these signs and wonders and miracles, we should instead prioritize those subtle things that have a greater impact. Things like our relationship with God, our relationship with other people, and how we can use our relationship with them to show them how meaningful our relationship with Christ is and how meaningful it can be for them. And prioritizing those relationships and prioritizing the truth of God's word more than a big showy event. That more often than not, that great tree, that big change in someone's life is going to come from a very tiny seed. And after scripture presents us with these parables, it gives us the last couple of verses that we read today that explains that Jesus, when he would talk to people, always used these parables. And what really stood out to me as I was reading through this was that it said that he 
spoke to them in as much as they could understand, and says that when he was alone with his disciples, he would explain everything. Which means that there was so many times when Jesus would present a parable to the crowds of people and not give them an explanation about it. He gave them the parables, but he wouldn't give them the explanations. And you would think, well, if Jesus wants to bring these people to the truth, then he wouldn't stop with just the parables, right? He would bring them all the way through the explanation and the understanding of why that was important. But scripture is clear in these verses that they could not understand that yet. He said he spoke the word to them as much as they could understand, meaning that Jesus knew that they were not ready yet for the full explanations, and that they needed time to just sit and think about that parable for a while, to really let it soak in before they were ready to receive the explanation about it. He needed to give them time to think about it, rather than just overloading them with more than they can understand. And we need to use that method that Jesus used and apply it to our evangelism as well, so that when we are sharing truth, that we are presenting it in ways that people can comprehend, meaning ways that they can understand and in ways that they will be accepting of. And you don't want to try to lead them through something that they're not yet prepared to understand yet. And I see this happen so often when someone who did not grow up in church at all or has no respect for the Bible. They reject it as an authoritative source, and then believers will try to teach them something and say that they should believe it because the Bible says so, when these people don't accept the Bible at all. And it's a terrible way to try to convince people to what the truth is by saying the Bible says so when they don't believe in the Bible. And it can lead to a greater rejection rather than acceptance because they're not in that place of understanding why the Bible's an authoritative source. And they're more concerned with what's going on in their lives and how what is being taught affects them. That's what they're more concerned with. And so we have to start in those places, and you can still bring God's truth into those places, but by doing so in a way where they will listen to that teaching, not because it comes from the Bible, but because it is true and it can affect their life. For instance, if you were going out to buy a refrigerator, you wanted to buy a new fridge, and I came up and I was your salesman there. I would not try to convince you to buy a refrigerator because Billy Bob endorses that refrigerator. If you don't know who Billy Bob is, you're not going to care what refrigerator he endorses. And it doesn't matter how much I say, well, you know, Billy Bob checked through all the refrigerators and he thinks that this is the best refrigerator of them all. And so if you want your 
refrigerator to meet your needs, you need to go with this one because Billy Bob says it's the best. That's not going to convince you. You don't know who Billy Bob is or why you should be taking his words seriously. You're more concerned with what features you want the fridge to have and want to know whether or not that fridge is going to have the features that you want it to have. If that fridge is going to meet the needs that you need a refrigerator to meet. That's what you're more concerned with. And maybe Billy Bob did know what he was talking about. But you don't care about it because Billy Bob says so. You care about it because you want your needs to be met. And you want to make sure that they are. And you want to make sure that you're not being led astray. And yet we think that that doesn't apply with scripture because of how great our Billy Bob is, how great God is, and how great scripture is, which it is. It is the most incredible, perfect thing in the world and beyond. But when people don't recognize that as an authoritative source, you can't convince them through that pathway. You need to show them how it can have a positive effect on their life. And that's where you need to start. Not saying that they should listen to it because it's in the Bible, although eventually they should get to that point. But accepting it because of the impact it has had on your life and the impact it can have on their life, regardless of where it comes from. And that's how we need to begin, is by showing people how God's teachings apply to their life and the good it can do for them. Because then, once they've experienced that, then they become a lot more interested in how we knew that. How did we know that that was the right thing to do? How did we know that that would be helpful? Where did you hear that from? And then when we show them that it's from Scripture, after they've already experienced the impact it has had on their life, then they become more willing to listen to what else Scripture has to say. Because they are beginning to recognize it as something that holds truth. And that's what Jesus did in his teaching. He gave them a parable so that they could see how it relates to their life, and that as they would think about it, they would begin to come to this point where they were ready, like his disciples, to receive the full explanation. So through all of these verses, we really do gain some great insights about evangelism and how people come to Christ. We see that that work of evangelism isn't something that we are to carry on our own shoulders, all by ourselves, but it's something that we are to share with God, that it ultimately is God's work for God's kingdom, and he will help us figure out how the best way to do that is. And that rather than expecting it to always be this great, big, grand event, that more often than not, it's going to come through small, subtle moments and that we are doing so talking to people where they are 
in ways that they can comprehend, seeing how the truth of God's word can be applied to their life to bring them to that place where they are ready to receive more of the truth of who God is and what he has done for them. So with all of this in mind, the question I want to leave us with today is where does God want you to start in your witness to someone you know who is not a believer? With all of this new understanding, where does God want you to start? Not just what do you think is best. Share that burden with God. Allow him to show you. And understand that it's not probably going to be through some big event, but through these small moments that God will help you bring into their lives. And doing so in ways that doesn't leave them in the dust, but they are things that they can understand, comprehend, and be willing to accept so that that change and that growth can begin to take place and allowing God to do that work inside of them that we are not capable of. So how does God want you to do that with the person or people that you know who are not believers? And that is today's Sermon in the Pocket. As always, if you have any comments or questions for me, I would love to hear from you. You can reach out either through the Sermon in the Pocket Facebook page, or you can email me directly at sermoninthepocket at gmail.com. And as always, I encourage you to share this with other people to help get the message out there. But until next time, I pray that God will bless you as you go throughout your day. Thank you for listening.